0: Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine. We invite you to join us as we take a deeper look into the stories and ministries highlighted in Christian Living Magazine.
1: Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight. I'm Sandy Jones, the host and publisher of Christian Living Magazine. This show is made possible by a generous grant so that we can come to you each week and take a deeper dive into the stories and ministries you'll find in Christian Living Magazine. I'm super excited to have my new friend Rick Cromie in this week's spotlight. Rick is the founder and president of Mana Educational Services International, and our cover story for our just released November-December edition of Christian Living Magazine. Welcome, Rick, and thank you so much for joining me. Hey,
2: well, thank you, Sandy. It's it's wonderful to be here. Thank you.
1: This is this is so fun. I love this. So. I loved your story. Thank I you. I didn't do the interview. Our our editor Gabe Anderson did your interview. And so I got I got the finished product and I was like, "Oh my gosh." And actually, I was here at the radio station when I read her story. I was upstairs in their conference room. I had borrowed it. And it touched me so much and at yeah. the very top, I wrote grace and mercy. Yeah. This is it. I mean, literally. I hadn't even read the other stories that had been submitted for potential cover stories i just knew and like i said i it just hit me this is a story of grace and mercy so mm-hmm. thank you so much for sharing your story with our readers one of the things that we t- that you touched on was how you were raised by your grandparents yeah. and how influential they were we see that a lot today a lot of grandparents are raising grandchildren so do you have any advice for grandparents as they're navigating those waters as as a second family
2: (laughs) yeah lots of grace (laughs) to begin with and and grace really is love is it not yes it is and that's the heart of of you know you have to my grandmother and grandfather were in their early 50s when my mom basically abandoned our family and we could have gone any number of different directions as kids, but my grandparents, and they were my maternal grandparents, by the way.
1: Oh, so it was her parents. Yeah, her wow. parents.
2: Yeah. My, my grandmother on my mom's side were the ones that brought us in, and mm-hmm. they were the ones that kept us in church. And we had other options available to us, including being shipped all the way back to Minnesota to live with some relatives on my dad's side. But my dad was pretty much in in my hometown as well, obviously, and he was a trucker, and they they actually housed him for 5 years as well because my mom left her so, left him so financially damaged it took him almost 5 years to be able to get to the point where he could actually move out so that was the first sign of grace to me grace is you know th- there was a there was an anger there there was bitterness there was resentment resentment to to what she did to our family i had a lot of hate for many years obviously but she what she did was a wound, but my grandmother was the salve. She was the she was the saving salve that, that covered that. And I saw my grandmother just to, in in so many ways. I when I was when I was in junior high, I got into Kiss. I, I don't know if I should make this uh, revelation, but I was a, <laughs> I was one of those Kiss uh, Army got kids. And my grandmother, you know, she she knew enough about Kiss to know that they probably were not the best music for me, but she gave me some grace there. And I needed to be able to explore and, and come back. You know, there's this whole idea of giving some leash there, and, and grace allows that. It doesn't mean that you you, you, you you never have consequences. It doesn't mean that there aren't, uh, um, you know, times where you need to critique or, or, or bring somebody back. But at the same time, she showed grace, and, and I needed to hear that.
1: Well, and there had to be an extended grace, you know most of our readers understand that um, our long-term readers that our son lost his wife five mm-hmm. and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And th- now they never moved in with us, but in those early years, we, we were there a lot to get through the grief and anger spotter that grief, Yeah, but you know, it's a juggling act because al- although you want to step in as a, as a mom, grandma, um, you have to you understand and recognize that the father figure is still there. And mm-hmm. there's an added grace there too. Yeah. Was they brought their son in law in and mm. healed him through this deep wound and loved on his children. Yeah. And let you be a family unit. And what what an adventure yeah. that's that had to be. Yeah. So
2: Well, having my grandmother's influence in my life was significant. Probably the most important relationship I had that That kept me not just connected to church, which really became my extended family. Yes, you know and and I, no, until you've actually experienced abandonment as a child. A lot of us experience abandonment, you know, maybe in a career or maybe with a relationship, a, a you know a wife or something like that or spouse, but to experience abandonment as a child is a deep, deep wound. and for me to walk through and it took me many decades to finally figure out, and finally, find some healing with it.
1: And you are how old again?
2: I'm 56 years old at the moment.
1: No, I'm sorry. How old were you when your mother was? <laughs> oh, <how>, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
2: all right. All right. So uh, no, I was 12 years old when she left.
1: So you were you were at a really formative age.
2: Absolutely. That,
1: that tender 12, 13, where you're not a kid and you're not quite a teenager and you're really trying to figure out who you are and where you're going. All right. And yeah, that would leave some real real, right. real abandonment issues. Yeah.
2: In fact, in my story, I saw things that no 12-year-old should see. I yes. I heard things that no 12-year-old should see. They my I was actually taken into the house afterwards, the the house where we lived because I had to identify certain personal belongings. And it was, it's horrifying. It's still in my mind's, uh, my memory. The uh, things you can't unsee. I, I can't unsee those yeah. things. They scarred me. But my brother and my sister, who were a couple years younger than me, and my, my baby sister, they never experienced that. And that's why I've carried a very unique baggage, very unique. I've had a very unique journey coming out of it. And a lot of times people don't understand that, you know.
1: Well, and it gives you a perspective and, and, and a mouthpiece, if you will, for grace. Yeah, You know, because if it wasn't for grace, if it it hadn't started with the grace of your grandmother Mm -hmm. and on down, and as our listeners will see as we go through your a little more of your story, grace has been threaded through your life. So, one of the things that's in your in your article is how one of your teachers, I think it was your kindergarten, was it your kindergarten teacher? My
2: kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Haruska.
1: Mrs. Haruska told your mother (laughs) that you were creative passionate and energetic.
2: Yeah, I think she told that to all the moms back then, but my mom stuck with it. She
1: <laughs> I, And I think that she branded you with it. Well, she had to. Even yeah. in the time that you and I have known each other, which has been a very short time, I see that. Yeah. I mean, it was like, that could not have been a more accurate description. Yeah. And so, but what a thing. I mean, although, yes, she abandoned you at 12, but at five, mm-hmm she gave you this label. Mm-hmm. You know, we label people and and you know, we we tell young parents with young children, your kids are absorbing the words that you speak to them. And what a blessing. Yeah. You know, creative, passionate, energetic. Had to be. I have a feeling that cuz you and I are about the same age, the 80. 80- oh, what what age is that? I, yeah. I like <laughs> yeah, mid to late 50s. Um so <laughs> Don't you know it's not nice to ask a lady her age? I didn't no, ask you. Anyway. I'm kidding. I don't care. I tell everybody. I never thought I'd live past thirty, so every day is a miracle to me. But in our generation, there was no mention of ADD or ADHD. Mm-hmm. And you are high. In, you, are, you are a type A driver personality. Mm-hmm. You probably had a little bit of ADD as a kid. So yes. energetic, probably was. Yes. Was I, I did I did
2: have ADD, but it wasn't attention deficit disorder. It was absent dad disorder.
1: There you go. I
2: grew up with an absent dad. Now he he was a trucker, but he was also emotionally absent from my life. So a lot of these preteen boys, in particular, who suffer from ADD, actually have absent dad disorder more than attention deficit disorder. And there are many ways they're quite the same thing. They're not getting the attention from their fatherly figures in their life.
1: So was your dad emotionally unavailable before your mom left?
2: Oh yeah. Also, yeah. so he just oh, he yeah.
1: was a very deep introvert.
2: Uh, he wasn't so much introverted as apathetic and uncaring. And in my case, he was abusive. He just really, and we those are the issues that we had to resolve later in life. And I love him today. But for years, I never heard the word, I love you, son. It wasn't until you know, about 15 years ago that I actually heard those words uttered by my father. Uh, he was never proud of me. In fact, for many years, I was simply known as number one. He never even called me by my name. He would just say, number one, go get me a beer or something from the fridge. And you know, and and now he would look back on that and he would say, Well, I was just being affectionate because you were the number one son. No. I I I I understood what he was saying. He was he was basically he never referred to my my brother as number two. He referred to me as number one and he referred to my brother by his name. And I'll tell you what, that's something else to think about. Our names are significant. Yes. And in abandonment issues and in relational issues that dysfunctions, a lot of times your names get lost first. That's why I always tell teachers, the first thing, your first job on day one in the classroom, learn the names. Know those names.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and, they are, and they are significant. Mm-hmm. They are very significant. You obviously spent some time in theater. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. you, you, you admit in the article that maybe theater rescued you a little bit in high school.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, theater was uh, the opportunity for me to be on stage and use some of that extroversion that, that you just spoke about, because I'm a, I'm an extrovert, uh, although there's a lot of introversion in me as well. But what I loved about the stage was when I got up there, I was playing a part. And I could play it pretty well, evidently. And, and when people applauded me, And when people responded, they laughed at something I said. I knew it wasn't me saying that. I knew it was my part saying it. But the response from the audience was, wow. In fact, I have a whole book that uh, I've entertained writing about my life called Pause for Applause. Because when you become validated, and, and, and part of my world has been, always about validate being validated. Mm-hmm. See, abandonment causes that in your life. You have to be validated for who you are because you feel abandoned by everybody. and And so there's this constant tension. And that validation then can become as addictive as anything. I yes. mean, yep. if you're not careful, and a lot of people who have these type of uh, abandonment issues, you know, they become addicted to the validation, whether it's being liked on Facebook or being shared or subscribed to or whatever it takes in social media, or even in our relationships, having people, you know, just say, hey, I like you. Yep. That, that, that plays a part. So validation is is a huge part of that.
1: I'm, I am the youngest of six. Wow. And, and there's a huge age span. Mm-hmm. And when I was two, my oldest brother got married and moved away. Actually, he went to the Army, went to Germany. I was two. I didn't realize that. And then, you know, by the time I was seven, the next one got married and moved away. And then eight, the next one got married and moved away. And as an adult, I went to a counselor and paid a lot of money to find out that I had abandonment issues. And it wasn't <laughs> that I was mistreated, but people who loved me, who were older, yeah. or were my older peers, kept leaving my life. Right. And so- um you know much lesser than than having my mother abandon me and my father be emotional cuz emotionally unavailable because that certainly was not the case. I I felt like I was raised by Ozzy and Harriet. And so um had a great childhood that way. But I have just enough that I understand exactly what, you know I have to tell myself that is not where you find your worth. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. You use the theater and ministry mm-hmm. in your in your first In your first Christian college, I love that. Yeah. Um,
2: Now, Boise Bible College, right here in town. Yeah. Yeah, started a little group called the Living Christ Players, and we traveled all over the Northwest and did a number of churches here locally as well, performed at a number of the different Christian schools here. Yeah, that was back in the 90s, you know. Yeah, it was a It was a good time and and that was part of the reason I did that was because when i was in i went to a small christian school out of out of high school I had a full ride scholarship to go to to a university here in the northwest, one of the premier acting universities in the northwest but I turned it down because it was a secular university and i I was really struggling with that coming out of high school do how much do I want to you know go in a direction that might um you know Sacrifice my own, you know, morality or, or you know, this this was the early '80s and there was a lot of experimentation going on yeah. on these university campuses, and it's not unlike today in many ways. But I was just kind of of a church kid coming out, and so I thought, well, I'll go to Bible college for one year. My grandma will like that, and so. But I went and I chose this particular Bible college because it had a theater group, and when I got there and got into it and really saw the ministry that they did, I realized later in life. You know, most of the time, what we do, and we—it's we, the same way in the church. I mean, you go to most churches today. We honor the musicians, but yeah. there are a lot of us who can't sing a lick. But theater is our gig. Yeah. You know, and and a lot of churches have left behind the theatrical side of a part of it, and and there's there's a lot to be said for that. Good theater, especially in the church, is missing today.
1: Well, people people learn through. I mean, Jesus taught mm-hmm. through parables. Mm-hmm. People learn through great storytelling. Right. They really do. If a story right. is well told. And that's what theater does. Yeah. So are you still involved in theater today?
2: I am not. Although I'd like to say that the work that I do is rather theatric. And, you know, the and COVID has kind of shut down my my gigging, if you will. Uh, you know, going out and speaking and training and, and such, but I'm an edu trainer. So when I do workshops for churches and Christian schools and faith-based organizations and even businesses out there, when I do these workshops, uh, it's it's edutrainment. And so I am very much a theatrical type of guy, and I like to I like to put on a show, so to speak, when you're being trained, which is a little bit different than the average workshop.
1: Yeah, yeah, but but those are the most captivating. I hope so. Those, you know, those are so captivating. We yeah. have we have an associate pastor at our church that super super straight laced guy. But he gets up there when it's his turn to, to preach on a mm-hmm. Sunday. You're not going to get preached to. You're going to get taught. And mm-hmm. he is so animated. And he just, as my husband says, he puts on a real dog and pony show. <laughs> but you leave filled. Yeah. And so that that is awesome. So after, after college, you bounced around for a while. And even after Boise Bible College, you bounced around for a uh, while and you came back in to In a Boise. good way.
2: In a good way, I bounced around. Yeah, I did some... I taught at some different uh, Christian universities and schools back east and everyone every one of my experiences whether it was in ministry located ministry or in the school higher education I was a professor for 15 years a youth and family ministry professor every school taught me something not just about myself but about my craft and God was building a bigger vision and all the way through when I look back at who I am and and what I did and I see my resume and I see the um, the, the the things that were that are there for me, it was like, "Whoa, God was preparing me for this moment," and that's why I, I continually believe today is not just my best day on the planet, but tomorrow's going to be even better.
1: That's amazing. I love that <laughs> attitude. So you returned to Boise in two thousand seven, yeah, and. That's when you really started your long dreamed of writing career
2: well yes and and there was a I came back because I had an opportunity to come back. There was a job here, but uh, a number of things uh, you know contributed to that job disappearing for me, and that's fine you know again, God kind of steps in and moves away the pieces the way he wants, but here I was in two thousand and eight uh, literally without a job, highly educated, highly experienced, and I could not find work. I send out literally hundreds of resumes. And I had a few interviews, but I really didn't want to move away from the Treasure Valley, so there was some limitation there. The bottom line is I started, again, gigging. I just started asking people, do you need a workshop? Do you, do you need someone to come speak for you? Do you need an interim preacher? You know, I did everything, and I still do, by the way. So if you need any of those things, let me know. I'd love to come to your church or organization. But I just started speaking, and, and writing also became a part of that. And my dream has always been to do that sandy it's always been to to write and speak and to make a living at it so you know i could do my own thing for me my greatest gift that god has given me the greatest gift god has given me is experiences you know, last, last summer or last fall, I was in Rome and Sweden and, Italy, you know, Italy, I saw parts of Italy. I've, I've seen several parts of Africa, West Africa, South Africa, East Africa. I've been to Europe and Moldova and, you know, Mexico. I've had some wonderful experiences in life. And all those then allow me to write and speak. And I speak right into it, but I also speak out of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's, um, not all education is in a school building. Oh,
2: absolutely not.
1: You know. And so that sometimes we get our best education from life experience.
2: Right. So what school provides are mentors. You need the you need the mentor to kind of guide that learning, but the best education actually happens outside of this classroom.
1: Yes. Yeah. I always tell everybody, yes, I have I have a doctorate from the school of hard knocks. <laughs> so I I completely agree with that. So we were talking earlier about grace and how grace mm-hmm. interweaves through your life and, and you talk about your mom mm-hmm. abandoning you. And your whole family, not just you, but and, and
2: and I went through a divorce. Just to be honest with you, or with, with my wife, uh, ex-wife, she she stepped away from the marriage after thirty years, and that was a hard thing as well.
1: That's quite but, an investment to have yes, somebody walk away from. Yeah, and your pardon? and your dad was emotionally unavailable. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about the situation with you, your ex-wife and you, but you were able to make peace mm-hmm. and to extend that grace to your mother. And to your father, do you want to share? Yeah,
2: well, I had actually told my mom shortly after she left that I would never um, love her. Uh, Years later, as we started to try to reconcile the relationship, I did say that uh, I would take care of her, I would nurture her, but she would never hear the words, I love you, come from my lips. And I had to go through some, you know, there were a lot of things going on in my life, but I finally realized in some recovery work that I was doing, some soul work that I was doing, in my early 50s, that I had to address this. And part of that work was to actually go to my mom and to say, Mom, I love you. That was the most freeing thing for me. I had already forgiven her, I thought, but the spirit was saying, no, you need to now go that next step. Give her what she's always wanted, but you've refused to give. Because I knew that if I never said, I love you, Mom, and I told her that, you're going to go to the grave and never hear me say, I love you. I know you want that, so I'm never going to give it. Just like you abandoned me, I'm not going to give that to you. Yeah. Say, And so in 2014, I called my mom on Mother's Day, and uh, we had a conversation, and I told her right from the start, I'm going to give you a Mother's Day gift that you've been waiting for for a long time. I love you, Mom. I love you. And uh, our relationship from that point, we talked for, for an hour after that, and our relationship changed on that day. I did the same type of reconciliation with my dad. My dad, who never said, I love you, he never leaves the phone conversation now without saying, I love you, son.
1: That's amazing. I need
2: that. Yeah. I need that validation. I also need that love. Yeah. And, and so, basically, when you put the things back together in your life, and I say, just do the next right thing. People say, I don't know what to do. I say, just do the next right thing. Because when you do right things, right things happen.
1: Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, our time is getting close, so I want to I want to jump in real quick and talk about Mana mm-hmm. Educational Services International because um, I because I've learned just enough to know that I'm really intrigued. So yeah. tell us what that what what is Mana?
2: Mana is an organization I started just a few years ago, 2017, to uh, empower and equip leaders and teachers, pastors and parents. Those are our four target. Uh, Areas and we do edu-train- edutrainment, educational workshops, uh, and, and we deal with inspirational training. And we have everything from how to motivate people, uh, staff, how to motivate volunteers, how to how to motivate class, a classroom, to uh, why kids really misbehave is another one of my popular workshops. I do that for parents as well as for educators. I have um, workshops. In fact, I'm developing one right now called the Starfish Church. The Starfish Church about how we need to respond in this post-COVID culture that we're going to be entering into, and how the church needs to adjust and and be the church. You know, it's it's time we got away from doing church. We now to we need to be the church in our culture. Yes. Be the hands and right. feet. Yep. And part of that, came, an idea came to start life groups. A lot of churches have life groups. But you know, the, most Christians and many Christians who go to churches don't go to a life group. In fact, we have a lot of Christians who don't go to church anymore. And I realize that's a huge opportunity for us. We're a nonprofit parachurch organization. So we work outside the church. We want to work with those individuals who have made choices to maybe not be personally aligned with the church but but you know they're still Christian and we want to disciple them and we want to get them back into located church ministry and fellowship.
1: Absolutely. So where can we where can our listeners find out more?
2: www.mannasolutions.org.
1: Fantastic. <laughs> That's awesome. So what's next?
2: Well, I just wrote a book, and I would love to have you all read that. It's called Gen Tech. For years, I've been teaching on generations and technology, but particularly generational analysis. It's one of my uh, expertise. And I wrote this book called Gen Tech. It basically suggests that we've been looking at generations all wrong. We we need to look at them as being framed between the of the technology that frames us between our 10th and 25th birthday. So we're the radio generation and the television generation or the the space generation or, you know, the most recent generations in the book I talk about are the iTechs. They're not Generation Z. We call them Generation Z. What does that even mean? You know, Generation Z. They're the iTechs. They were were born between 2000 and 2020. And these iTechs were born and and bred and matured on iTechnology like the iPhone, the iPad, the iPod, the iWatch, all those iTechnologies, smartphone, And now uh, we have a new generation coming up, being born since 2010. I call them the robo generation. And that's a whole other topic. I need need to probably start a whole podcast just on the robo generation. But anyway, Gentech. And you can learn more about that also at manasolutions.org. Or we have a dedicated website, uh, mygentech.us.
1: I love that. Thank you so much for joining me today. Mm -hmm. Clearly, you've had a full life. (laughs) And you've shared so much more with our readers in our new issue of Christian Living Magazine. Our chat today has been a great teaser. So folks, I invite you to pick up your copy of Christian Living Magazine and see not only Rick acting as the hands and feet of Christ, but about so many who greatly impacted his heart for the Lord. Rick, thank you again for joining me today. And until next time, folks, God bless.
0: This has been Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine where it's our desire to deliver faith, hope, encouragement, and perhaps a new perspective about God's love to our listeners and readers as we showcase the hands and feet of Christ at work in our community and beyond. For more information on today's program, the magazine itself, or to subscribe, go to www.christianlivingmag.com or search Christian Living Magazine on Facebook for an uplifting start to each day. Christian Living Magazine is free to pick up in over 600 locations throughout the Treasure and Magic Valleys and in Central Idaho through McCall. Our mailing address is Christian Living Magazine, P.O. Box 867 Meridian, Idaho, 83680. Or you can email us at christianlivingmag at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week.